This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 82nd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and not recording from the Revel Advertising Studio uh, for the second week in a row, recording from our own homes. Um, I'm Cameron Albert, and I'm alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great today, Cameron. Uh, how are you doing? Sounds like uh, you're doing some yard work or something, I think is what you're talking about. That's the plan for as soon as the podcast is over. Um, my wife's off work today, so I'm off work today. I'm home, and uh, yeah, might as well. It's kind of nice out, and mm-hmm. going to get some yard work done while we're quarantined. Yeah, I, I uh, mowed the lawn yesterday for the first time, uh, so it's definitely springtime, getting warmer. Yep. you imagine if we were quarantined and it was like 20 degrees outside and we... Like, literally, we're quarantined in the house. I don't think anybody would be going outside. Yeah. Now, at least it's uh, it's pleasant to go outside for a little bit, even if it's just, like, you know, if you're by yourself or just, like, two people yeah. uh, in your own yard or something. Um, did you happen to catch any of the Mizzou SEC Network takeover yesterday? I think that was yesterday. I did not. Uh, I saw on Twitter that was happening, but I didn't personally watch any of it. Did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I think I we was gonna I was lean on you for the content. <laughs> well, I think they played the West Virginia game, <clears throat> the football game from this past season that we attended, <clears throat> and I think we were on the television broadcast. So somebody on Twitter, oh, yeah, again pointed that out that we were on TV recently. So nice, and I think the they showed broadcast the broadcast takeover. Yeah, I think they showed the uh, Auburn basketball game as well. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um. Well, I thought uh, it'd be interesting to maybe talk about what we've been doing. Uh, I have yard work this afternoon, but in the meantime, uh, the viewer, the listeners and viewers might be interested in, to know that we are uh, taking part in a NBA 2K league, uh, the three of us along with two of our other friends. And so that's one way we've been trying to keep in contact with each other is through an online um, NBA 2K league on Xbox. And my team is the Missouri Tigers. So I'm of course it is. Representing Mizzou. And uh, we each created a player to be on our team, sort of like the face of our franchise. So I created Drew Smith. And yeah. uh, he notched a double-double with 10 points and 10 assists in a big game here recently against a rival. So, so far, so <laughs> that's good. good here. Yeah, we're, we're yet to play yet. So that's going to be the big clash. Yeah, I think both of our teams are doing pretty well so far. So we'll have to see oh, what yeah. happens there. Yeah. I also wanted to shout out uh, one of our uh, followers and listeners um, in Columbia, 573Ts. Uh, they posted they were doing a um, I Heart Nurses shirt, uh, and the proceeds of that were going back towards uh, to the community. Uh, my wife's a nurse, so uh, that hit home with me, and uh, she's been working really hard. During this time, she's not dealing with any sick people. Fortunately, she deals with uh, new moms and babies. So, But I just thought that was pretty cool that they, they're they a loyal uh, listener of ours and uh, 
doing something to give back to the community. So I wanted to shout that out real quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, great follow on Twitter. Good, uh, good people over there. Go check them out. Five seven threes, five seven three tees dot com for sure. Go check out their stuff. Got a lot of cool stuff. Um, Kyle, I realized this past week that because of the cancellations due to the coronavirus, we are missing out on a. We did miss out on a huge uh, Missouri high school basketball matchup in. Um, the state final four that would have been here in Springfield, I would have tried to attend that and it would have been uh, your own Kickapoo Chiefs led by Anton Brookshire against CBC and Caleb Love in the state semifinals. So I was pretty bummed when I realized that that was the matchup that we missed out on. Yeah, we've done that the last uh, couple of years. Last year, especially, it was notable. We you know uh, saw... Um... Vashon and Mario McKinney. Yes, Mario McKinney won a state championship, uh, which was very cool. Um, it, this would have been a really cool matchup for sure with Anton Brookshire. I'm a Kickapoo alum, so uh, he's going to be a really good player, I think, at the Division One level, go against uh, Caleb Love for sure. So, yeah, that is disappointing. Um, I know a lot of people don't like that the uh, state championships are in Springfield, uh, but it's great for us. It's cool that we get to uh, see that kind of in our hometown. Um, yeah, we got to see uh, Aminu Muhammad last year win the uh, Class 2 championship. Uh, we watched Isaiah Mosley and uh, Rockbridge beat uh, Caleb Love and CBC for the championship last year, as well as watching, like you said, Vashon win over Springfield Catholic, I believe. Yep. Um, and I didn't realize that Vashon's now Class 4 in the state of Missouri. They were Class 3 last year when they, when they, won, when they won the state championship and three of the last four, I think. So that's pretty crazy that they were going to potentially be, you know, in the running for the, another championship their first year in class four. Yeah, they uh, have been dominating the last few years and we saw them in the tournament of champions uh, a few months ago and they were hanging with some of the best teams in the country. So I would, uh, I would be, I'm pretty sure they're, they're up there as well as some of the best teams in the country. And so Making the, the jump to class four seems pretty pretty reasonable. And I'm not even sure exactly how that is determined. It might just be total students enrolled at the yeah, school. I think it so is student population. May not have anything to do with athletics, but it definitely makes right. sense for athletics too for them. Yeah. Um, I guess just to recap, uh, one other thing that happened this week, more for me personally, you see I'm, uh, I'm repping my Panthers Cam Newton jersey. <laughs> uh, sad day for Panthers fandom. Uh, the Panthers released Cam, so I'm just, uh, I'll always be a fan of his. Um, I, even if he was like picked up by the Patriots or something crazy, I would still root for him. And I was really sad when the news came through, but unfortunately the NFL is a business and they got to make those business decisions. Um, I don't know. It kind of sounds like maybe he didn't agree or, you know, he wanted to stay in Charlotte, which if that's the case, that's really unfortunate, but you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, new coaching staff. Um, I, I think it's very possible that, that Cam makes them wish they would have held on to him. Uh, but we'll see. Obviously, he's a very unique talent, and I can't imagine trying to uh, tackle him in open space or at all. <laughs> so he's super talented. Yeah, I've been watching uh, Cam Newton highlights nonstop for like the last <laughs> week or so. He's a stud for sure. You have to be a Teddy Bridgewater fan now. 
Yeah, I can make that work. Um, we'll see, I guess. It'll be a it'll be a struggle on the defensive end, I'm afraid, this coming season. I, I'm I would love to go to Kansas City and watch them play the Chiefs. Um, I'm afraid of what the Chiefs' offense will do against uh, <laughs> the the Panthers' defense as it stands right now. Even if they add a couple rookies in the draft, it might be ugly really quick. Yeah. Well, they might have a good draft, and I don't know. They're still professionals. I bet they'll figure it out. I bet they'll be all right. I hope. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I hope you're right. <laughs> All right, Kyle, well, you want to um, transition us into some Mizzou news? There's one thing in particular that stands out uh, as newsworthy, um, and that is Trey Jackson entering the transfer portal. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a bummer to see Trey go. Um, we've talked about him a lot this year and uh, the potential that he had to make a difference. Uh, you know, he didn't make a huge difference this year, which was fairly expected um, for a, a freshman coming in. That was fairly raw, but um, definitely a guy who had a high ceiling. We've talked about that a lot. Um, so it's definitely, it's tough to see him go, but it's not super surprising um, that he didn't, he didn't get a whole lot of minutes this year on a team that wasn't really great. So with kind of some question marks at his position anyway. So there's definitely like, it's understandable to me that he wanted to look elsewhere for another opportunity. Yeah, it is a shame that it didn't work out. I was kind of just looking at his uh, numbers compared to last year's freshmen. Um, last year's freshmen were relied on by necessity a little bit more, I believe, than what was needed uh, by Trey this year. But um, if you look at Pinson, uh, Pickett, and Torrance Watson, uh, the lowest percentage of minutes was to uh, Penson at 44%, and Trey Jackson was about 17%. So even as far as freshmen go for Mizzou, uh, he just was not seeing the floor um, like you typically see uh, even for freshmen. I mean, look at uh, Jeremiah Tillman as a freshman, 48%, obviously a position of need. Um, even this year, though, Trey Jackson at about 17%. Um, Parker Brown was at 11 So you're looking at that type of playing time versus anything close to uh, what Pickett, Penson, and Watson had. Yeah, that, that position was definitely just kind of a revol revolving door this year. Nobody ever really stuck. Nobody ever really um, earned that job, I guess. Um, but... And, and there's definitely probably some competition with the fellow freshman Kobe Brown for some minutes in that position too. And obviously Kobe seemed to be kind of the preferred option, at least from the coaching staff. Kobe got a lot more minutes this year and I don't know. So yeah, I don't know if that Kobe, had anything to do with this decision or not. Yeah, Kobe was at thir at 43% uh, minutes. And so that's right in line with what the freshman class did a season ago as well. Yeah. Um, I watched uh, a few highlights uh, of his this this morning and from this past season. And one thing that just kind of stuck out to me was the way he could finish as well as shoot threes. Um, he seemed like he was capable at at least two levels of scoring. Um, wasn't as consistent as you would like to see. But again, that goes back to playing time a little bit as well. Um, but when they would kind of just dish it to him under the basket and he could just go straight up and dunk it as if he was, you know, a center. Uh, 
Um, so he was super athletic and being six, eight helps, but I don't know. Yeah, not a whole lot of guys at the college level can do that. He definitely shot the three better this year than I thought he would. And obviously incredibly limited, uh, opportunities. So, I mean, he probably shot less than 23s the whole year, but, uh, definitely felt like he made some big shots at times. And, uh, I, I would definitely say that his struggles came on the defensive end more so than the offensive end. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, I mean, that's what got him pulled out of games early at times. That's what caused him to just, you know, not see the, the starting lineup and just never really get those minutes. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, yeah. He'll be a good candidate for uh, Mizzou basketball. Where are they now uh, in a couple <laughs> of years? So for sure, I'll be keeping track of him. Uh, let's see here. Um, still waiting on an announcement from Josh Christopher. Uh, maybe we just shouldn't think about it anymore until that April 13th date that we kind of heard about a couple weeks ago. Um, he posted, uh, some graphics of each of the final four teams that he's considering, uh, with their jerseys and stuff. Looked pretty cool. Got the uh, fans hyped up. And then he said basically that the next time he posts about college will be his commitment. So, um, one of the more uh, dragged out commitments uh, in recent memory, um, but he's got four fan bases kind of waiting on the edge of their seats at this point to see where he ends up. Yeah, it almost. I actually feel like it's been a longer recruitment than we waited for on Courtney Ramey, but I remember that one feeling like it just dragged on forever as well. But, um, anyways, yeah, Josh Christopher definitely. Uh, made my heart skip a beat a couple of days ago when he posted uh, those pictures because um, the, obviously the first one I saw when I just got on Twitter was of him in the Mizzou jersey. And in the bottom left, it has like a little uh, logo that says committed on it. And so I, I didn't know that he had posted the other ones yet. So I was like, what? <laughs> so, but then I kind of just was like, okay, let me just check this out for a minute. And obviously he had uh, posted the other schools as well, but, um, you know, I, I don't really know how, how good of a shot Missouri really has here. Uh, we, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I think he's probably still going to go to Michigan, but um, nothing would probably shock me, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's you'd never really know. I, I've heard from multiple sources that Michigan and Arizona State are the leaders, and then even Michigan being ahead of Arizona State at this point with Mizzou and UCLA being a distant third and fourth. So still never know. Um, In these kinds of recruitments, it seems like these kind of unique ones are where the um, experts and prognosticators can be wrong a little bit more often than more of your straightforward recruitments. So maybe that'll work in Mizzou's favor. They now have an extra scholarship to fill. So we'll see. Um, We'll talk about here momentarily the Uh, transfer market but um with that extra scholarship getting a a guy like josh christopher on board would just that'd go a long way to you know maybe having a special season next year yeah he's the kind of talent that um very likely a one and done um so wherever he goes i would say either of those four places i'm I'm sure he's going to be uh going to the draft uh within a year or two of being in college for sure but I agree. It would be it would be really nice to get him on board at least for one year uh, to really 
bring a spark, hopefully, to uh, an offense that has been very stagnant for the last two seasons. Yeah. Uh, they could look for a spark in the transfer market. Um, uh, grad transfer obviously would be eligible next season, uh, so that would be immediate help. Um, a traditional transfer would have to sit out a year, uh, but there is uh, not quite a handful of um, graduate transfer options. Actually, exactly a handful, five uh, that Mizzou has reached out to. Um, you want to take us through the list so far? Uh, I think we may have talked about a couple of them not last week, but uh, the list has expanded a bit since then. Yeah, uh, like you said, Missouri has been uh, in contact at least with five different grad transfers. And um, to me, there's one of that is uh, a much better prospect than the rest of the ones on the list and would be probably Missouri's biggest priority right now. And that is uh, Justin Turner from Bowling Green. Uh, last year, he averaged uh, almost 19 points per game, and he's got some pretty big schools on him for sure, as you would expect. You know, everybody's looking for like a wing that can score. So, uh, but he he named a uh, top six this morning, and Missouri was on that list along with Xavier, Marquette, Arkansas, uh, Louisville, and Iowa State. Um, and some people uh, even think that it could be down to uh, Missouri and Arkansas. Uh, if that were the case. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that Missouri has a good shot just because of the opportunity that would be available to him. I think he would just be an instant start. Uh, in, uh, yeah, at Arkansas, they have really great guards, really good depth at the guard position. Um, I'm not sure that it would be as sure of a thing that he would get as much playing time at Arkansas as he would at Mizzou, but I trust the uh, coaching staff are pitching the correct things to him um and that if that's really a missouri versus arkansas battle at this point i would assume that would be something they're uh letting him know about yeah absolutely um looking at his uh ken palm profile looks like he shot uh, about 36 percent from three last year on over 100 attempts um really good free throw shooter gets to the free throw line really well um doesn't commit very many fouls doesn't turn the ball over um, so those are all things you like to see. He played 84% of minutes in conference play last year for Bowling Green. So um, a guy that can be relied on. And actually all three seasons he played uh, at Bowling Green, he averaged uh, over 80% of the available minutes and uh, was well over 35% his uh, freshman and sophomore seasons shooting the three. So Looks like a good scoring uh, guard wing type player that uh, Missouri is desperate for. I mean, we just talked about Josh Christopher as a freshman. Um, Justin Turner seems like, you know, the same kind of fit as far as a guy that could just go get buckets for a Mizzou offense that struggled mightily at times last year. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so I would say he's probably one of the biggest grad transfers on the market right now. So for Missouri to land him would be massive. Um the next guy that I would probably consider that tier two of guys that have, are out there on the grad transfer market right now, uh, that a guy that Missouri has been in contact with is uh, a six, seven guard, uh, Isaiah white from Utah Valley. Um, he averaged about 14 and a half points per game and eight and a half rebounds. Uh, so he's a pretty big guard, obviously six, seven guard uh, can, can score and rebound. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball very well from three last year. He only shot about 22% from three last year, uh, according to the ESPN uh, site that I looked at. Uh, but he he uh, only played in like 20-something games as well. So I'm not sure if he was dealing with an injury. 
or what, but the year before that, uh, he he played a lot more games and uh, shot 39% from three the year before that. So uh, he may have just been dealing with uh, an injury or some kind of situation that uh, I'm not, I don't know about, but uh, clearly a lot of uh, teams still see the potential there. Yeah, maybe not quite as polished um, as uh, Turner from Bowling Green, but you know, still it, it encourages me that uh, the staff is looking for uh, people to add some scoring punch to the offense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So th- um, th- that's definitely priority one and two, I think, as far as grand tr- grad transfers of guys that are available right now. And then we've got the next kind of tier of guys. Uh, Jonah Antonio is a guy from UNLV. He's a six five guard. Um, he averaged about seven points per game this year and shot about 32% from three. So obviously not eye-popping numbers, but definitely a guy who can, you know, stretch the floor a little bit and provide uh, some three-point shooting potentially. Yeah, and he, uh, along with uh, a teammate of his, is, uh, or I should say a teammate of his, um, I forget his name, is, has also heard from uh, Mizzou as a potential transfer target. Yep, his name is Amari Hardy. And right, Hardy right. has a, a little bit, a little bit better numbers, I'd say. But so yeah, two guys from UNLV, Missouri's looking at, and then the last guy on my list uh, that I saw has reached, uh, Missouri's reached out to is Jalen Harris from Arkansas. Um, and so he again didn't have crazy numbers, um, about four points per game, uh, two rebounds, two assists per game, shot about twenty-eight percent from three. Uh, Kind of a smaller guard, he's 6'2 guard, but uh, keep in mind, like we talked about earlier, that Arkansas had has some of the best guards in the country, and uh, there just probably wasn't a lot of opportunity for him for playing time. Yeah, and ball-dominant guards at that. I mean, Mason Jones, uh, I mean, he was one of the most ball-dominant guys in the SEC this past season, and when he wasn't shooting it, I mean, he was kicking it out to Isaiah Joe to take threes, so... For sure. So those are, um, I, I, you know, I would really like to get one of those top two guys, especially Justin Turner. It would be great uh, to add to uh, Missouri's roster next year. Uh, Missouri absolutely has to add a grad transfer, in my opinion. Um, there's just clearly an element of scoring that is lacking from the roster, an element of, of athleticism on the wing that I think Missouri would benefit from tremendously if they could add an experienced uh, scorer. Um, from a lower level school Um, and there's still a lot of time so there still may be more names that come out if Missouri doesn't hit on one of these guys so and I think that it's actually possible that um, Missouri could even add two grad transfers Um, I don't think they will and I'm not sure that they should but that is a possibility with Trey Jackson uh, transferring so um, I think it's possible they could add a normal transfer um, that sits out a year or it's even possible they might just add nobody and save the scholarship for the next year. But um, I, it wouldn't shock me if Missouri actually looked out for two different grad transfers. Yeah. Um, saving the scholarship for next year seems like the least likely situation in my mind, because there's actually been a couple times where I thought that would probably be a good idea for the staff. And they um, yeah. have added, you know, guys really late in the process. And you're just kind of like, okay, I don't know. Christian Guest, Axel yeah. Congo. Exactly. So you think sometimes when it might make sense to just bank the scholarship for next year, it does not seem like they're really interested in doing that. Yeah, um, and I don't really get that. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I don't really understand that because I just, I mean, you're never going to play everybody on your roster. Um, usually if you're trying to add somebody that late, it's not uh, usually a quality addition. So 
Um, I, I would be totally in favor with Missouri banking that scholarship, especially with how many guys we're set to lose after next season. I think we're supposed to lose like five or six guys. So, Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up is the kind of balance of the um, of the classes because, yeah, I mean, you're, if, if you're adding a grad transfer that'll be a senior next year, you're adding that to a host of other seniors that you're going to have to try to replace the production of the year after that. So, yeah, I don't know. You don't want to get too unbalanced there. Um, but at the same time, next year is a crucial year for Conzo as far as, you know, his contract, um, you know, potentially looking at a contract extension if things go well. Uh, on the flip side of that, we don't even want to entertain what might happen if uh, things go poorly. So, I don't know. I think I could look at him, you know, just trying to infuse some talent as quickly as possible just for uh, for one year. It is true to think about it in that way. You know, we, we think about it in a uh, probably a more landscape long term view, maybe even than some coaching staffs do because they're sometimes coaching for their jobs. And so they and they need like I need to be successful right now. And, you know, we're sometimes we're as fans, I think, probably content with, you know, well, we'll just bank the scholarship and we'll have it in the future. And, you know, maybe we'll get a, a good solid high school player that'll be, you know, here down the road and stuff. But uh, from the coaching perspective, and obviously the guys who are calling the shots, um, they want to win as soon as possible uh, for obviously for the team's success and for their personal success. So I agree. Uh, it, that seems like unlikely uh, if we're looking at historical patterns of what they're going to do with that scholarship if it's available. I think they will try to fill it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think if you look back at Conzo's uh, first season, that was definitely the strategy that he took, you know, kind of realizing that what he had in front of him as far as, you know, MPJ and Jonte and Tillman coming in, getting that grad transfer in Cassius Robertson um, just to try to get that, you know, that immediate talent boost. Um, and, you know, he had to, I mean, obviously he knew the structure of his contract that if he could get to the NCAA tournament in year one, that added another guaranteed year to the back end. So right. um, I think obviously he wanted to get off to a good start, but maybe if the contract was structured a little bit differently, he would have um, maybe not been so all in on just a one year thing and maybe taken it as more of a long term rebuild which was basically what year two was um, true for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's not every day that you have like two five-star players like fall in your lap essentially for, uh, so, you know, he, he knew that that was, this is the year and I got to get every, everybody on board that I can to try and make the run for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Any other big news that we need to touch on? Uh, that was all basketball stuff. Was there anything I, I saw the, uh, the graphics went out for a new football commit, but I never actually saw who it was. Yeah, I don't think they ever announced that. So, um, and the beat reporters and stuff don't seem to know who that is either. So, um, we got somebody. Don't know who, uh, but I'm I'm sure that we'll uh, hear about that in the next week or so. Um, I thought that it might be. Um, I need to look up his last name before I try to pronounce it, but uh, he's the tight end from Washington, Missouri. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He posted Ryan an image. Ryan Camp. Sure. Um, I, I thought that it might be – sure. I thought it might be him, uh, but, you know, he's actually kind of been blowing up a little bit lately. He's been get, he's been getting some other offers. I saw he got one from Michigan State. Um, he's been talking to Kansas State, so he might be kind of just 
uh, trying to see what's out there for him right now. But we got somebody. Was, was he the one that posted the Arkansas Mizzou like image and mm -hmm. had 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 the fan bases kind of going at each other in the replies? Yeah, yeah, that was him. And we already have a tight end uh, committed for uh, this class, but um, definitely probably wouldn't hurt to have two. I don't know if uh, one will depart if the other one commits. I don't know, but well, probably Mizzou wouldn't hurt. Shied to. away from loading up on tight ends in the past, so it's true. Any other news you got for us? I don't think so. Um, lots of guys out there. Uh, lots of uh, football guys that you know we're still in contact with right now. Not we, but the staff um, guys that want to come visit <laughs> can't right now. So. Right. There's, I've kind of been watching um, different outlets and stuff, and there, there's a lot of guys that we're in on right now um, that I haven't heard a whole lot about. But uh, recruiting is definitely still happening uh, on the football side of things, so it'll be kind of fun to hopefully get, get some more commits in the next few months, and hopefully some of those guys are able to, to visit in the next few months as well if all this uh, coronavirus stuff kind of dies down, hopefully soon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not just recruiting. I mean, we're talking about practices and like the actual season eventually we're going to need to start uh, moving forward with that kind of stuff uh, at this point with, like who knows yeah even about the season which is like i don't even want to think about it it makes no. me sick to even think about it i yeah, think i saw per curb street i think uh i saw a quote from him this morning that he would be shocked if we played the college football season and obviously that probably means nfl too uh and that, i mean that seems like a long time away uh to be making those kind of statements but who knows? Yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, there's very few people that have any idea as far as a, a timeline for any of this. So for we'll sure. just have to wait and see. I hope he's shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Well, Kyle, I have a little fun little segment I thought uh, we could add to this episode since there's no games to talk about or anything like that. Um, just to tell everybody uh, what we are doing doing here and get everybody on the same page uh, we've referenced before the website barttorvik.com and it is a free uh college basketball analytic website uh similar to ken palm uh but it's as far as i'm aware bart torvik is completely free and they have some pretty cool features and one of those is you can go like for the last i think like 12 seasons or so uh going all the way back actually to 2008 you can go change the outcome of games and Bart Torvik will uh, sort of project those changes into the NCAA tournament field. So you can uh, change a couple wins to lo or losses to wins and see if your team might have made the tournament or uh, if they were a nine seed, maybe it would bump them up to like a seven seed or something like that. It's all just kind of... Um, just for fun, us uh, just to see, you know, how close some of these seed lines are and, you know, the decisions that the selection committee is making uh, when you talk about, like, the last four in and first four out. And this past season in particular is a really interesting one uh, for Missouri. Obviously, last week we talked about kind of our, what we thought going into the, the season, uh, you know, the floor and the ceiling was. Um, and if we maybe make this Missouri team as far as their record, be a little bit closer to what we were expecting. Um, 
by manipulating the wins and losses a little bit. I think it's pretty interesting to see what Bart Torvik thinks their uh, NCAA tournament uh, fate would have been. So if uh, the listeners will indulge us, I think it'd be pretty fun to do a little what if for this past year of basketball. Yeah, for sure. There's obviously several games that uh, probably should have gone the other direction but didn't. Um, uh, And starting with the beginning of the season, uh, Xavier was a very close game that uh, Missouri was up by three with like less than a minute to go. Uh, I remember I think Xavier Pinson had like a huge play to put us up by three with like 30 or 40 seconds left and ended up going to overtime and losing in overtime. So that was definitely the first disappointing um, loss of the season. And I think that that would definitely fit our parameters as a, as a game that we could flip for this scenario. Yeah, that was the first one that I saw just looking at the uh, results. Honestly, I didn't have to look uh, to remember the Xavier game and, uh, and know, On the that road too. One, yeah, know that that was one I would probably want to flip. Um, you mentioned Missouri being up three late. And then uh, I think it was Najee Harris just came down and drilled a three. Yeah, uh, to they, tie Xavier it like struggled to shoot the ball all game, and then were just nails down the stretch. Yeah, um, according to Ken Palm's probability table here, uh, Missouri was about eighty percent to win, uh, with about thirty seconds left in the game. So that was right before that three to tie it, um, and then including that three, and then through the majority of overtime. Uh, Xavier went on a 12 to two run to kind of put it away and Missouri was favored to win for the entire last 10 minutes of the game, basically uh, after going on a 14 0 run uh, to take the lead. So I don't know. There's, there's not a whole lot, but looking at the box score, there's not a whole lot they could have done differently. I mean, everybody was healthy for this game. Drew Smith was the Ken Palm MVP of the game, even though they lost. Um, However, Xavier Penson, while he did have nine points, a lot of those came really late. And I think if we saw the Xavier Penson that we saw down the stretch of the season and towards the end of this particular game uh, for the entire game, that may have been enough offense when uh, both teams were shooting pretty terribly. And then also uh, Missouri, even though it was overtime, they did turn the ball over 20 times. So that was 25% of their possessions. Um, Shoring that up a little bit, I think, would have gone a long way to uh, Missouri pulling this one out. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, at that point in the year, we didn't know a whole lot about what kind of team Missouri was going to be. Yet. Obviously, hopes were a little bit higher. Um, I was pacing around my living room, uh, like, couldn't breathe. Like, I was into it so much. Um, especially, you know, that, that game being on the road, we knew Xavier would be a pretty decent opponent. Um it felt like that was such a massive defensive struggle. Like it just felt like both teams were so good defensively. And I I think that was definitely the case in that game, but both teams kind of struggled to score. I think as we looked at the data for those teams uh, later on in the year, that was probably consistent with how they played for the majority of the year. Yeah. Xavier was in the top 25 at the time of this matchup and uh, they finished about 500 in conference and with uh, 19 wins overall in the season, I believe. So mm-hmm. they uh, maybe were a little bit of a disappointment for those fans um, based on the preseason expectations. Um, but yeah, I completely agree that maybe 
the offensive struggles were probably a sign of things to come for both teams. Yeah. Um, real quick, let me just take one step back and look at where Bart Torvik had Missouri, uh, how many spots they were out of the NCAA tournament, um, according to Bart Torvik, with the season that, as it actually happened. Uh, Missouri was 45 spots out of the NCAA tournament. So that's pretty terrible. Um, and as we go through, Kyle, what do you think? Should I update and see what Bart Torvik thinks after we make each change or make all the changes and then see what it says? Uh, we could go game by game. Okay, so. Because I think flipping. one in particular might be a pretty big, uh, pretty big shift. Yes, I think you're right. So uh, 45 games out of the NCAA tournament. We're just going to flip the Xavier game to a win. That is a quadrant one win since it was on the road. And that moves Missouri up to 31 spots out of the NCAA tournament. So from 45 to 31, um, jumping over Washington, uh, Harvard, Georgetown. So getting a little bit closer to the bubble, but still pretty far away. Yeah, before you switch that game, I mean, Missouri's behind teams like Indiana State, uh, who is just like an at-large team from the Missouri Valley. They're behind uh, Pacific, Lo Loyola, Chicago, Colorado State. I mean, they're, they're really pretty far out of this thing. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah, we knew uh, if things, if the, uh, if Selection Sunday had happened, uh, no Missouri fans were holding their breath. And also one thing I should keep in mind, or we should keep in mind, is we're not taking into account the SEC tournament. Um, there's just too much, too many variables there. Um, it'd be, I mean, we may take a look at it at the very end, but we're not going to um, take that into account too much until the very end. Yeah, I, I think it's like um, a like a common uh, misconception that the non-conference portion of the schedule doesn't matter very much. And maybe in comparison to conference play, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but I would say that this justifies that it's pretty important. An opportunity for a quadrant one win on the road against a top 25 team uh, boosts you up um, potentially 10 to 15 spots um, on the bubble at the end of the year. That's a pretty big deal to me. Yeah, and Xavier finished the season uh, 45th in Kempom. Um, when they played Missouri, uh, they were 21st, so um, not a huge decline, but that kind of you know that matches up with what we were saying about how the rest of their season went. Mm -hmm. All right, so moving on, uh, the game that probably comes to mind for most Mizzou fans when you look at uh, missed opportunities this season. Um, or maybe you've all erased it from your memories, and if that's the case, I apologize that we're bringing it back up. But we do need to look at the Charleston Southern game. I mean, before that, we have Butler and Oklahoma. I, I mean, if we're looking at you know a healthy squad, maybe a little bit better three-point shooting, you know, maybe fewer turnovers per game, you know, those type of things are what I think raise Missouri's ceiling. You know, about three wins or so. I still don't think that gets them over the hump uh, against Butler or Oklahoma. So then that brings us to Charleston Southern. Yeah, those two games in Kansas City were just uh, got off to too poor of starts, and Missouri could not recover in those games. Uh, Butler ended up 
being very good um, in the middle of the season and kind of tapered off, but uh, Oklahoma was pretty average. So um, Missouri should have won probably that game against Oklahoma and we're not able to do so, but that's not really what we're talking about. I still think that, yeah, both of those games were should remain losses for this simulation, but uh, Charleston Southern, on the other hand, is probably a game Missouri should have pulled out. Yeah, when you're talking about a team that's uh, in the 300s in Ken Palm and, you know, in Missouri Arena, Missouri, you know, going into the game is like uh, 90% to win, according to Ken Palm. Let's see here, uh, about 98% to win before the game even tips off. And it's not until two minutes remaining that, uh, and Charleston Southern is up by five with two minutes remaining that they, that Ken Palm actually thinks that they have a better chance of winning this game. And I'm not really sure what, uh, I mean, it was just an abysmal performance by Missouri. Um, Conzo uh, talked about it after the game. He called it uh, one of the toughest losses of his career. Uh, he said something felt off uh, or just not quite right with about 10 minutes left in the game. He just felt like, you know, for some reason, Missouri just didn't bring what they needed to bring and maybe didn't take the game seriously. And they just, he, he said he felt with about 10 minutes left that they probably weren't going to pull it out. I honestly can't even really remember uh, if I watched this game, which I assume I did. I think I watched pretty much every game. I was out of the country for a stretch, and I think I missed the Southern Illinois game, but I think that was the only game I didn't watch. And it just, show, I guess, goes to show like the worst loss I probably ever watched Missouri play in. Like I just don't really remember anything about it, and that was probably consistent with what their performance was. It was just so not memorable. Like they just didn't do anything well. They didn't play with any passion whatsoever on either side of the ball. They didn't shoot well. I mean, just they did nothing well. Yeah, I mean, they ended up losing by eight, and that just kind of shows how just they had nothing at the like like he said the last ten minutes of this game. They just brought nothing. Um, Missouri shot four for twenty six from three, good for fifteen percent, uh, <laughs> and turned the ball over sixteen times. That was a little over twenty five percent of their possessions. Uh, compare that to Charleston Southern, which of course. I had a great uh, day shooting from three, 10 of 22, and then only turned the ball over seven times. I mean, they just, one team showed up and acted like they, you know, were ready to win a game, and the other one didn't. As Xavier Penson, Mark Smith, and Drew Smith combined for 17 total points, and that was on four combined made field goals. Hmm. That's awful. Yeah. You know, obviously, um, I, there's not a lot of criticism that you could put out there for Drew Smith, but I think maybe an opportunity for him to step up next year would just be to be to bring maybe more leadership for this team, and just like you just can't let you can't do that. You can't lose to a team that this that that in much in more in superior to you. And I think that you know you have to call into question. Well, yeah. For the whole season, I guess maybe I don't know. They maybe they were superior that night, but uh, I don't know. You, maybe you, you question uh, where the, where was the leadership that night um, from the coaching staff or from you know the older players on the team? Like, how do you let yourself just fall into uh, that bad of a, of a performance? I completely agree, and uh, 
Xavier Pinson, he had six points in this one. He played 32 minutes, but just didn't really make his mark. I mean, if you if you look at his performances down the stretch, and even at the end of some close games, uh, when he still wasn't playing that many minutes, but he would just take the ball and go make something happen. And uh, Drew Smith did it too at times in a less flashy way, I would say, you know, when he would just kind of uh, bully his way into the paint, use a couple uh, pump fakes to get a basket. And they just weren't doing that in this game. And those two guys are the two that once the injuries happened and the rotations got pared down a little bit towards the end of the season, those two guys took it upon themselves to not let Mizzou lose games um, if they could help it. They did everything possible to um, not let that happen. And uh, exactly that leadership is what they could have really used in this Charleston Southern game. So that will be our second game to switch over to a win. And if you want to know what uh, the difference between a one quadrant four loss and zero is, I think I just said that Missouri was at 31 spots out of the NCAA tournament after switching the Xavier game. Now switching the Charleston Southern game, they are 18 spots out of the NCAA tournament, um, 17 and 14 overall, and still seven and 11 in conference play. So that's a much more palatable record. Um, even keep conference play exactly the same, that big win on the road at Xavier, and then just not having the horrendous loss, uh, quadrant four loss to Charleston Southern mm-hmm. makes this, when you're looking at the schedule and the results, just, makes it look like a completely different season almost. Yeah, and it's actually interesting to kind of look, at least statistically of this website, how it treats uh, like a really bad loss versus a good win. And uh, and Xavier wasn't even like a huge, it, would, it wouldn't have been like a program-changing win on the road or anything. It would have been a solid win, but you know the, the, the jump the, uh, you know that Missouri made after changing those two games individually really wasn't that different. Um, both pretty solid jumps, so um, it's almost like Bart Torvik, you know, rewards uh, big wins almost more than it punishes for really bad losses, at least in this situation. Yeah, I did uh, just do a little experiment and isolate the Charleston Southern game. So I uh, changed the Xavier game back to a loss and uh, kept the other one as a win. And then that jumped Missouri up 15 spots from 45 to 30. So um, it definitely... Bart Torvik definitely liked, uh, definitely disliked the Charleston Southern loss more than it likes a Xavier win on its own. Um, pairing them both together, uh, neither one is as impactful as they are separately, it looks like. So Missouri sitting 18 spots out of the NCAA tournament. Um, I will mention here, uh, Bart Torvik did have Mississippi State as the last team in the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll never know if that would have come to pass. And we would have still had the SEC tournament that would have factored into that. So um, now we're heading towards conference play, I believe. Uh, the next losses um, came in the first two conference games against Kentucky and Tennessee. I don't see anything there. 
um, that warrants changing those two games. Uh, Missouri just lost those. Uh, Tennessee came out and played really well at Mizzou Arena. Um, I don't think any uh, health issues uh, being changed or even a little bit of better performance would have kept Missouri uh, from losing that one. Um, you think anything differently, Kyle? No, I agree. And then we have a four-game losing streak after the Florida win to Mississippi State, Alabama, Texas A&M, and West Virginia. Three of those were on the road. And the one that sticks out pretty obviously is the home loss to 129th ranked Texas A&M by two points. Um, That was a quadrant three loss. And if we look at the win probability for that game, Missouri was favored the entire sec- the entire first half and then well into the second half with uh, Texas A&M being at 52% to win with about eight minutes left. So definitely one that uh, Missouri let go in the second half. Um, Texas A&M did play really well and has always been kind of a tough matchup for Missouri since they've joined the SEC. But uh, this is one just, you know, we thought, Texas A&M was just an inferior opponent. They surprised a lot of people in conference play, but this would be probably the the best candidate for that third uh, switch from a loss to a win, and probably just the one that makes the most sense with it being the only quadrant three loss. Yeah, absolutely. And and A&M, like you said, ended up probably being a little bit better than they than we thought they were going to be, but still, you have to win that game at home for sure. Um, Definitely had every chance in the world to uh, to pull that one out and just didn't. Um, A and M is tough to play against. You know they they just kind of grind it out and they play good defense and um, it's probably kind of a boring team to play against. Uh, but you you absolutely have to pull that out at home. And this was um, a game without Jeremiah Tillman, um, and we didn't get much from the backup bigs, um, Reed Nico. Uh, didn't do a whole lot with his minutes. Uh, Parker Brown was not really seeing much playing time at this point. And then keep going back to uh, Xavier Pinson, who blew up, you know, for the last third of the season or so. Um, just four points in 25 minutes. He obviously was not, you know, things were not clicking for him like they did just a few weeks later in the season. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if, and we're talking about kind of a best case scenario here where players stay healthy and Xavier Pinson unlocks that next uh, stage of his game. So those probably, in a, in a real season, those probably aren't both happening. Um, but we're just trying to look at a best-case scenario where we have good health, plus uh, we're getting a little bit more out of each of the players. Yeah, and I, I really don't even think it would take more than one of those factors individually to potentially change the outcome of some of these games. If we just get one... One of those things to fall our way, I think we probably pull at least a couple of these games out for sure. Yeah. Um, if you, I was looking back at the highlights. Well, um, they were the highlights from the Texas A&M perspective um, from their YouTube channel. Um, and Drew Smith was called for an offensive foul when Missouri was down one with about 10 seconds left. They had the ball with a chance to take the lead um, or at least you know get fouled, go to the line, something. Um, with about 10 seconds left, he was called for that offensive foul. Very questionable call. Um, seemed like Drew got called for a few of those weird push-offs that were just like, I don't know. They seemed 
like rewarding flops to me, but that was a big one that uh, obviously just gave Texas A&M the ball back and, with the lead, and Missouri had to foul. Definitely. I can't stand those like little kind of just just barely extend the arm and they'll they'll call it every time. Yeah. Um, it's frustrating. So we're gonna go ahead and switch that one over to a win. And what do you think, Kyle? What's your prediction? Uh, how many games out of the NCAA tournament is Missouri going to be with uh, going undefeated in quadrant three and four losses? We're going to switch this Texas A&M game. And now they're 18 and 13 and 8 and 10 in conference. And you're about to tell me that you already know because you looked ahead. Well, first of all, I didn't look ahead. And our sites are actually a little bit different. Um Mine has them at 21 spots out, and yours has yours has them at 18. So it's a little bit interesting that ours differ a little bit with the same, changing the same stuff. But um, we'll go by yours, and um, I'll say they're 13 spots out now. They are seven spots out of the NCAA Ooh. tournament. So wow. not not in the first four, but they would be on your TV screen because they would be in that next four out graphic that is always shown uh, on selection Sunday and there would be I think realistic fans would not expect them to get selected um, on selection Sunday but they'd be undefeated in quadrant three and four games and um, their name would be talked about you know in the same way that uh, UCLA Oklahoma State uh, even like Cincinnati and Arkansas those type of teams that were you know, squarely on the bubble, but probably on the outside looking in. It is pretty crazy because I, I'm, I've done the same exact thing, and I, mine still has them listed as 16 spots out. Really? That's very interesting. We'll have to uh, compare notes. Oh, you know what is probably making up the difference? If you scroll all the way to the top, mm -hmm. it says projected T rank, like in the middle of your screen. Yes. And then there's a little checkbox that says Dynama rank. Mm-hmm. Do you have that checked? I do now, but I didn't before. Okay, so checking that, um, if you uncheck it, it keeps their like overall ranking at 100. Okay. And if you check it, it like um, changes their overall rating according to the changes that you're making. Oh, so well, that would seem significant. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so mine says the same thing as yours now. Okay, terrific. So uh, seven spots out of the NCAA tournament and. I mean, that would have been that would have been what we looked for at the beginning of the season. You know, maybe we're short one game, but that would not be, you know, that disappointing of a season. Right there yeah, in the bubble, just a couple things didn't bounce your way. Um, that's what's going to happen when you're not a great team. If you're just a good team, you know, eight wins in the SEC, even though it's down a little bit, uh, you know, they'd have been about, you know, still would have been around tied for. I think there would have been about three teams tied for eighth or ninth in the conference. So it wouldn't have moved up a ton. Obviously just changed one conference game to a win. So I don't know. That would have been exciting though. Yeah. It's crazy to think how, I mean, we went from 45 spots out to seven spots out by literally just a couple changing a few points yep. in a couple different games. That's just absolutely crazy. Uh, what the, the margin for error is so small and you kind of don't really think about it during the season because there's so many games and there's so many, uh, it's just the season's you know long when you think about it in that way, but um, every game truly matters, and uh, this is probably going to be bad for my health to do these kind of simulations because <laughs> I'm going to be like, 
thinking about this kind of thing. Like, no, we need this game. Like, because you know, normally I might make myself feel better. Be like, oh, it's just one game. It's okay. But right. Nope. Every game really matters. Non-conference or conference season, it, it matters. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about each of these games that we changed. You're talking about if they if they were in the tournament. You're talking about a seed line for each of these, um, at least. Yeah. And obviously, the the more wins you have, you know, and the more you're solidly in the tournament, um, things are a little more stable, a little more static. Um, changing one game doesn't make as huge of a difference if you, you know, already don't have any quadrant three or four losses. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what I found is that definitely... I don't know, and this is trying to simulate what the committee is going to do, and it really punishes you for the quadrant four losses, especially. But even quadrant three, if you can stay undefeated in those bottom two quadrants, you'll be, you'll at least give yourself a chance. I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially in a power five conference like that, when you're playing quality teams, you know, day in and day out. Um, if you can just win, you know, half your conference games and, and like you said, stay clean in the quadrant three and four, you're going to give yourself a chance every single year. Yeah. And that's what I think Missouri, you know, ne- needs to make that a reason. That's that's a reasonable goal to make the tournament every year because I think that's absolutely a- attainable things that they can do in the, every season. Yeah, and if that's your goal every year and you fall slightly short and you're a bubble team and you just miss out, then it's not the end of the world. You know, if your goals are to make the NCAA tournament and you're 45 games out, then, you know, that's a different conversation. That's not, I mean, it is just a few games difference, but, you know, when those games are Charleston Southern, when those games are not closing out a a road game that goes into overtime or, um, you know, protecting your home court in conference against Texas A&M, those are the things you just have to do to be a bubble team or an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if I'm if I'm looking ahead. at uh, one more game, I don't know how many you plan to change, but I'm looking at what what can get Missouri into the tournament. That's what and I was about to bring up is getting a little greedy here. Because there's one more game, especially on the schedule, that I think Missouri could have pulled out that would have absolutely at least in this scenario and Bart Torvik got get, will get them into the field. Yeah, seven spots when you're right there in the bubble is still a lot to make up. Um, however, yeah, if I'm just wanting to be a little bit greedy, I think three games is about the most you could ask for as far as, I mean, still you're going to have some, even if you're a really good team, you're going to have, you know, a questionable loss here and there. And especially right. if you're maybe like on the road against a you know top forty team, uh, maybe it's not you know a given that you hold on to some of these victories. But yeah, that's if true. I was look, if I was looking at that LSU game, if I wanted to be a little bit greedy, uh, that would be the one that I would want to switch and just see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, that's the game that Missouri led the whole time. Led at halftime, they were up by I don't know what seemed like. 15 or more points uh, in that game. Yeah, they were up by 12 with uh, a minute left in the first half. And uh, LSU scored the final five of the first half and the first five of the second half and, you know, just erased that deficit. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Missouri battled the whole time. They were up eight with nine minutes to go. Um, And 
don't know, just kind of late game, you know, late game struggles. LSU made some big shots. Skyler made like Missouri. Yeah, exactly. Like he usually does. Yeah, uh, Darius Day made some, you know, kind of some shots. You're just like, okay, if that's going to go down, then then what Missouri? What's Missouri really going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, Missouri was like 65% to win with just under 10 minutes left in the game. Um, as far as their overall performance, uh, Penson 0 for 5 from 3. You know, if he's just able to convert on one of those uh, down the stretch, it would make a big difference. Uh, they turn the ball over. 20% of their possessions, but uh, as I'm looking at the box, box score, I remembered uh, what one of the biggest talking points was surrounding this game, and that was Missouri shooting 7 of 13 from the free throw line, while LSU shot 29 for 34. Yep, I remember that for sure. Man, the referees were, off, were awful this season, consistently yeah. all year long, I felt like. Unfortunately, that's been college basketball uh, the last couple seasons. Maybe more than a couple. Yep. All right. Well, let's cut to the chase here. Let's make this LSU loss a win. And that that puts Missouri right at our preseason expectations. Uh, Exactly, actually, your projected record perfectly. Uh, 19 and 12, 9 and 9 in conference. Perfect in quadrants 3 and 4. Five quadrant 1 wins. Three quadrant 2 wins. And... Bart Torvik says Missouri is in the last four in the NCAA tournament. They're playing a play-in game against probably Richmond or Stanford. So they're in the NCAA tournament, technically. Missouri has never played in a play-in game since it's been a thing, so that would be a new thing for the, uh, the fan base to experience. And by all accounts, the season would have been a success. Yep, I would have taken that, for sure. And it's good to see that and, and that would have been interesting because nine and nine in conference. I mean, that's still like tied for seventh ish. Yeah. And you know how the tiebreakers fall. I'm not sure. I mean, they'd have been right there with South Carolina and Texas A&M and Tennessee, I guess, uh, and Texas A&M. If those were all, if they were all at nine and nine, both of those teams had big wins. Texas A&M beat Auburn, Tennessee beat Kentucky. So, how that three-way tie would have played out, who knows? Um, I don't know. I think Missouri still would maybe even be playing Texas A&M in the first round of the SEC tournament. So yeah. that all wouldn't have changed very much. But obviously, you're talking about making up 45 spots for, on the bubble. And being one of the last four in. Yep. And just another little side note. I noticed this. it has Xavier as the third team out in the scenario. If you flip that game back to what actually happened, I'm, I'm sure that Missouri and Xavier will effectively just switch spots pretty much. Right, right. And uh, I, I did uh, work ahead a little bit. Obviously, I had to make sure that this uh, segment would work even just a little bit. I did plug in uh, Missouri beating, uh, who did I have them beating? I had them beating Tennessee in the first round of the SEC tournament and then losing to Kentucky. Uh, That kept Missouri right there as a last four in. However, 
if they lost to Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament, that bumped them back out to like the ne- like next four or first four out of the NCAA tournament. So there still was a long way to go. I mean, as far yeah. as setting the tournament field, those last four in the conference tournaments, when you're talking about the Power Five conference tournaments that take place just a few days before Selection Sunday, a lot can happen to uh, change a team's fate right there at the end. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, man, I'll be looking forward to uh, hopefully a better simulation next year. Hopefully we actually have a March Madness next year. Yeah, <laughs> It's been so, like, so sad not uh, being having that going on this time of year, but obviously a lot more important things to worry about yep. in the grand scheme of things. But um, definitely every game matters. I think that we've de- determined that from this scenario. Um, you gotta you gotta win the uh, the game. You're supposed to win. Yeah, I, it always is kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of you know, did it really mean anything? Not really, but. Uh, maybe we learn just kind of how razor thin the margins are and um, how important every win is. Like you said, even the uh, non-conference games early in the season that you kind of brush off when they lose and it's still a long season. But, I mean, it all goes into the resume and the selection te- the selection committee is always, you know, taking in the whole body of work and not just what they did lately. Yep, the uh, predictive metrics don't forget your losses. Right. And honestly, there may be some kind of human element that go into the uh, selection committee. They might have more of a recency bias. They might totally take other things into effect that, you know, some of these websites like Bart Torvik and Ken Palm don't. Um, so obviously, you know, what we simulated may not be at all what the selection committee uh, determines is what's most important. But the, I think that these, I think the selection p- committee probably uses these websites to make their decisions, though. So absolutely, you want to be uh, in a good spot in the predictive metrics. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that, and just shows how close Missouri is to being in the NCAA tournament. And I think, uh, if anybody else wants to go out and, you know, play around with this, just barttorvik.com. Uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll link it when we, uh, send out the, the show. But, uh, if this is something you thought was interesting, then let us know. Um, there's 12 seasons worth of, data to go back through and maybe do a few more what ifs with uh, that can yeah. be fun. So if this is something that uh, you found interesting, let us know. and We'll go back and look at a few more seasons, uh, maybe not right away, but uh, we'll add that to the uh, rainy day list of content uh, that we're having to dip into a little bit earlier than we uh, <laughs> For sure. Well, that's all I got, Cameron. Yeah, I didn't write down my outro, so I'm going to have to remember it. You have to do it by memory. Um, <laughs> I forgot to point out uh, that I'm being watched over this episode by uh, Lawrence Bowers, Marcus Denman, Kim English, Ricardo Ratliff, Steve Moore, Danny Feldman, I believe, uh, Jared Sutton, Mike Dixon, Ma- Kadeem Green, I think, uh, Ernest Ross while he was sitting out for transfer. I think that's Corey Haith, Phil Pressy, Matt Pressy, and... Keon Bell. Wow, good job. That's so a great that, group of guys to have watching over you. Yeah, that that would be your uh, your well known uh, reconciled by winning Tigers. <laughs> I've got the uh, uh, 2017 team, I believe, that we talked about earlier with the Porters and the Cassius Robertson. Robertson, uh, Jordan Geist. It's crazy to think that Jordan Geist was like this, probably what like just a bench player on this team, and he ended up being yeah. like a star like a year or two later. But uh, 
Blake Harris is up there. Reed Nico is still there. CJ Roberts on that poster. Was he out of town by the time that got printed? Yep, he's on there. Interesting. And Kevin Perrier. Yep. So good group of guys as well to have watching over me. Yes, so. I agree. We'll see what <laughs> I can pull out for uh, for next week. Absolutely. But, all right. Let's see if I can remember this. Uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. Did you say YouTube? You can YouTube us on YouTube at Missouri Sports Podcast. And, and watch some videos. Uh, Drew, did you have a good time? Sorry, we didn't uh, we didn't talk about Drew at all. Oh, Drew, you had a great time. <laughs> One singular nod. A little bit more responsive this week than last week. Well, Drew, it was good to have you here. Uh, you can find us on all of those wonderful places. You can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week.